Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Hola, mi gente hermosa. It's Odalis Jasmine, and thank you for tuning into the Hello Latino podcast. Oof, let me tell you, this episode is going to bring you all the feels, así que prepárate. This week, I chatted with Ariadna Manso, one of my all-time inspirations. She opens up about her life as an undocumented Chicana, from her early memories of leaving Mexico to arriving to the U.S., to college applications, to DACA, all of it. So grab your cafecito, y pancito, listen, learn, share, and connect with Ariadna on IG at Ariadna Manso. Ariadna, I'm so excited to have you because... I mean, I, I texted you this and I think I've told you so many times, but you were, you've always been such a big advocate for Latinos, for the Chicanx community, for undocumented community, because you yourself are a part of that community. And girl, you are, you like educated me because, you know, my family members, they may be undocumented, but they don't talk about their experience. So like you were really the first person to openly share your experience because although they were in my family I didn't go through it so I know I had privilege in that sense so hearing it from you I was like Damn, this girl is so inspiring <laughs> and you continue doing that so I wanted to welcome you and have you on here to share your story your experience and let's start with you know how do you identify yeah well thank you for having me I'm super excited for this and excited for you um and thank you for just allowing me the platform to share so that others, you know, can, like you mentioned, I listened to your first one. I was like, wow, this is so true. Like I was on the other end, like nodding and snapping and like, I've definitely gone through similar situations. And so I think I resonated a lot with you when you started saying, when you were upset about when you started taking like a deep dive into your history and you were super excited, but then became upset. And so for me, when people ask me how I identify I've had identity issues for a while because for me, my salient identity is undocumented, even though, you know, that's not necessarily like a ethnicity and stuff. Right. But mm -hmm. it's because it's just been the, it's the one that's most like prevalent in my life. And it always comes up on a daily basis. Um, and so, but also I was ashamed of being Mexican growing up. And so I, 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 I was born in Guadalajara, Mexico. And so coming to the United States, you know, you're kind of taught to be, to force yourself to assimilate. And that created um, just a lot of self-deprecation of my community. And it wasn't until I went to college and I started, you know, I joined Mecha, which is Movimiento Estudiantil Chicanex, that's LAN. And I started learning more about my culture and its roots. And similar to you, I became upset because then I learned through a conversation with my mom that there was indigenous roots within our within our family. 
but that my great grandparents on my grandma grandpa's side are full indigenous, we chose, but none of that was ever passed down. And so to me, I became really frustrated with identifying as Mexican, with identifying as, you know, I'm not Mexican American. And so for me, the term that I closely relate to more is um, Chicana, because it just, I feel more like politically empowered with that term. And I feel like I was able to self-define that term for myself. And so for me, Chicana means for myself that I'm politically empowered and that I'm recognizing that not only do I have history of colonization, but I there was also indigenous roots, but I can't identify as indigenous because I don't know the practices. I don't know the traditions. I can't, you know, identify with the community that I have no knowledge about. And so that was hard to admit, um, but I had to, you know, come to that realization and, you know, come become comfortable with what is it that I identify as and what is this new self-definition that I'm going to develop for myself. And so for me, oftentimes people say Chicana is Mexican-American, but for me, it's more so just becoming aware of the complicated history um, that we have, as well as um, becoming politically empowered. Um, and so I would say that I identify as Chicana. I know that was a yeah. long answer. To no, I love it. I love it because you touched on something really important. And you said that you're, you know, you have indigenous roots, but that was never passed down to you. And it wasn't until I started learning about our, our history and our roots and our ancestry that I brought up the same conversation with my parents. And they're like, oh, yeah, we have indigenous roots. And it was such a like, you know, like, they, oh, I'm like, why didn't you tell me? You always talk about los españoles, like our, our like, oh, your tío is from España and blah, blah, blah. But I'm like, I want to know more about our history. And, you know, like they told me what they could, but it, it's just, you're right. It's something that over time, over generations, especially, I don't know how much this has an effect, but moving to the U.S. has, and our knowledge of our cultures and our knowledge of our families and, and our ancestors, it's it's wild. But you touched on that and I was like, that isn't a very important thing that Latinos do, <laughs> especially our families, right? The older people, they just like don't tell us about our lives, our cultures. <laughs> Yeah. And I think growing up, it was because we came to the United States and we had to assimilate. Like mm -hmm. I, you know, that was something that just, it became self-deprecating. Like people would ask me, what are you? Right. Cause, and I would be like, Oh, I'm Mexican. Sorry. Nothing interesting. I could not believe that I would say that about myself after, you know, I came to college and became more aware and more appreciative of my culture. And I couldn't believe that I was just self-disrespecting -dis myself and just mm -hmm. my whole community. And, but it was, it was a lot of unlearning for sure. And I think within our Lat yeah. Latino community, a lot of that unlearning has to continue, especially with, mm -hmm. um, you know, how we look at indigenous people within the Latino community, how we look at the African-American black community and Afro-Latinos. And so a lot of it, like you said, does have to do with, that transition to the United States and what it does to us because of what we see and the narratives that we see and we hear and how, you know, a lot of people in our community don't have the same privileges that like some of us had of going to higher education and being in spaces where we can unpack and unlearn. And so I think it's very important to create now like platforms like this, where you people have the opportunity to listen to others and share and do this a lot of unpacking and unlearning. Yeah. And speaking of unpacking, let's unpack your story because <laughs> you said you you're from you're from Mexico 
do you remember coming to the U.S.? Like, how how was that experience moving here? And like, what can you tell us from your childhood? And where did that kind of self, not hate, but self disrespect kind of come from? I know you said a simulation, but just talk about that journey from Mexico to the U.S. Yeah. So let's let's unpack this. And let's I'm always this. open. <laughs> I'm always open about sharing my story because I wish someone would have shared theirs. Mm-hmm. When I so I would have known that you know. Um, that I shouldn't be ashamed of who I was and the labels that I carried that people placed on me. And so, mm-hmm. so my family and I, we migrated to the United States from, like I said, I was born in Guadalajara, Mexico. Um, and so I lived there until I was four years old. And at the age of four, we migrated over here and it was myself, my mother, my older brother, and then my young, my younger sister. And I'm the second oldest out of five. So so in our family, we all we also are a blended family because the last two of my sisters, they're U.S. citizens. And so um, for us, I have memories of Mexico. Like my, some of my family didn't believe me. They're like, girl, estás bien chiquita, no? ¿Cómo que te, no, te recuerdas de tanto? And I'm like, and then I described places. <laughs> You're like, I do. <laughs> yeah, and then I would describe like my great grandma's house and stuff. And they were like, esta niña si sabe. Like, you know, I'm like, <laughs> so... Um, I have memories, um, the memories of, you know, there's different ways that people become undocumented. Some people, you know, overstay their visa, but they had a legal entry into the, the country, right? Because they came with the visa. And so, and others don't have a legal entry into the visa because with the visa. So they cross the border. And so, and there's other, other ways. Um, but point is my family and I, we crossed. And so we didn't have that legal entry and so the memories of crossing the border are very like like you know in movies when there's like a montage and you just see like little like snapshots of things looking back (laughs) in their in their in their life or like their high school days or whatever (laughs) so for me crossing the border it's it it was like like a montage of Mm -hmm. of people saying shh people saying be quiet people saying you know um the way we cross, you're crossing with not just you and your family, you're crossing with a bunch of people. You have to be very, um, there's a lot of rules you have to follow because you're not only endangering your life, there's people with you that you can, you can also endanger their life. And so for me, it wasn't like a, it's not like a linear memory that I have. It's more so of memories of feelings of what it felt like, of like a lot of rushing, a lot of hurrying, a lot of be quiet, a lot of Um, weight and so it was a lot of that not necessarily specific memories that I can describe to you like in the way someone would describe like a painting and so then coming to the United States was I noticed immediately how my childhood changed and in Mexico you know I was playing I was playing with Barbies you know typical little kid things playing with the neighbors and then as soon as I came to the United States it was like I all of a sudden just grew up. There was no more um, time to be a child. And not necessarily because my family pressed that, placed that on me. Um, my father didn't cross with us. So my mom became a single mother. Got and it. she was a single mother back in Mexico as well. And so coming here and seeing my mother work long hours, you know, she worked at times three times, three jobs, meaning we would bar- we would barely see her. Um, my mother then had my younger sister, 
And so then, you know, we had a, my sister was one and then we had an infant. So my mom would work at this time. She had probably around two jobs. She would come home, probably sleep an hour, wake up, take care of us, right? Like feed us, feed my siblings. And then it was go back to work. And so at that point, I saw just how my mom was like still my mom, but she wasn't like, she was more the, like a a mom that was like a provider and she was always a provider. Everything in one. (laughs) Correct. Yeah. And and it was, it was like, we would see her for a short time and then she would go to work and then we would have to wake her up. And again, it was always the, shh, don't wake mama up. Like, shh, we gotta be quiet. Like, shh. I was four in November because I we came to the United States in November and then this well, this was around March so I was about to turn five and so my sister was born in March and so then by the time my sister was born I was already five and then at that point I didn't like seeing my mom working like this I didn't like seeing um, just how stressed and tired she constantly was so I just started watching her and seeing what she would do and how she would change diapers and how she would um, warm her um, breast milk up. And I started just doing that and not waking her up at all so that she could sleep more. And I just started literally a five-year-old changing diapers <laughs> of an infant, changing a like two-year-old by now, um, doing chores. The only thing I probably wouldn't do was cook, but everything else, I was a five-year-old child cooking and changing diapers and so at that point there was no more yeah, no more Barbies. No more Barbie. Yeah, like <laughs> there was, was a watching, baby now. <laughs> exactly. There was a real baby now. And so <laughs> and so I think I look at little five year olds now and I'm just like, there was no way that I was doing that. But it was just this we had to learn how to survive and adapt. And so for me, um I adapted and I like just immediately matured immediately just grew up and started taking these responsibilities that were never given to me but I just wanted to like how could I take off something off my mom's plate and so for me it was I can help at the house at at the home and then I started kindergarten and oh my goodness kindergarten (laughs) I knew new kindergarten (laughs) kindergarten. it's so um engraved in my head because of the struggles that it comes with being someone who's a non-English speaker, Mm -hmm. having to, you know, you're not put in a bilingual class. All my teachers, none of them spoke English because in kindergarten, you have like two teachers sometimes. And everybody lived, we lived in a predominantly white neighborhood at that time in the high desert in Hesperia. So for any any Hesperia people out there, y'all know what I'm talking about. (laughs) And so it was, nobody really, nobody spoke Spanish. And I remember the first day of kindergarten, my mom, there was a certain, you know, when you're out in recess and there, you have to line up by your number Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. in your class. I lined up in the, I lined up in the incorrect number and I didn't know. And so the class I went to was um, not the teacher I was assigned. And so then the teacher realized that when they were calling attendance and I just remember her being so upset. And I don't know if for you, the kindergarten classes were connected where there was like a hallway and you could go yeah. into the other one. Yeah. So she grabbed me by the shoulder and it wasn't like a cute, 
I'm a kindergarten teacher and I love my job. <laughs> it was like, I'm so upset because now like I have to do this. And so she took me to the correct classroom, but I remember like feeling so bad and feeling so like bad for doing this to her. But the way she was treating me was also not correct. Now I know that at the yeah, time. It's so problematic. And so then I was put into the correct class, whatever. And then I, I learned my way. Um, like I said, no, I didn't know how to speak any English. And um, so what I would do was when I would go home, um, I began, my mom wrote down um, from one to 100 on a piece of paper. And so every day I would count to 100 in English and try to do that in English. And then at the time, I, my, one of my aunts was a, a librarian. And I don't know if you heard of the Hooked on Phonics. When growing up, did you ever hear, hear of Hooked on Phonics? Somebody, somebody must have heard that. It was like <laughs> uh, a like collection of books and cassettes because at the time it was cassettes. Oh yeah, yeah. And you would I, put them on. Called? It was it was like a like a brand like a hooked on phonics oh, and got it. Now I remember like, those headsets. Yeah, <laughs> to help your little like to help your child learn how to read and write yeah. and um, yeah, basically just read and write. So it was for English speaking students. And so my, my cousin who was, is a U.S. citizen, she was born here and she knew, she knew English. She was using that. And so my aunt would let me borrow it sometimes, the, the little books and the cassettes that came along. And so with that, I learned how to speak English within a month. Like no way. one month. Yes. Yes, girl. <laughs> I was desperate. <laughs> because I remember going to school and not seeing, like not understanding anything that was going on. I knew it was recess time because we were being taken outside and given like things to play with. And so every day I would go home and do the count to 100 in English and do the hook down phonics. And then I remember one time being at a family gathering because, you know, we Latinos, we'd be out here having Always. large family gathering. Always. You have your cousins that aren't even your cousins, but they're like your tias. Call them primo. Yeah. <laughs> and so there was um, my uncle's wife's uh, nephews and kids were all playing and they were a couple years older than me and they were speaking in English and my uncle told me this story a little while when I recently I graduated from San Jose State he told me this story he's like I don't know if you remember but there was a day we were all at this family gathering and you were trying to speak in English and you couldn't speak in English so you were just making noises and they started laughing at you Aww. And now look at you, like, given a speech yeah. and graduating. And, like, who would have thought that that little girl that was just saying, like, round, 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 round. Like, he said you weren't incomprehensible and not even saying words. Like, you were just mimicking their noises. And they were laughing at you. And I was and like, you now. Yeah. And so as an undocumented immigrant, like, I guess, as my story of coming here, a lot of it was assimilation. Um my mother didn't have the same opportunities, you know, to go to school. And so she needed to learn English. And so she would ask us to not speak Spanish at home so that she could mm -hmm. learn English. So we would try to, we would, we would speak in English at home as well. And now I see the impacts of that because now my Spanish is a little choppy or I'll speak with native Spanish people and they'd be looking at me like, you're, and you're Mexican, and I'm just like, oh. ¿De qué hablas? Yeah, they're like, así no se dice. Or they'll, they'll say the word, and they'll be like, se dice así. And I'm just like, okay, well, no, no. 
Yeah. And so, but it was because my mom needed to learn and, and, you know, we, you know, I'm, I'm sure this is a similar thing within like our Spanish speaking communities. We would be translating documents that we didn't of words that we didn't even oh, know what those words girl. were and what these documents were for but you know we were translating those doctor <laughs> you're doctor, like six years old and like reading a whole like law document <laughs> you know what and, this is what it means this is what you have to sign <laughs> yeah and you're like uh you have to and there was no google before so we couldn't just like look up a google i mean i'm pretty sure there probably was google but there was no like internet how it is now and how like no yeah some yeah. people can access it quickly and so that for my mom, I think was hard as well. And like, I don't think, I don't know what it's like, right? Knowing that, I mean, I know what I I felt like not understanding what was being spoke, what was being said. And now I could, now looking back, like, I don't know how my mother felt sitting in those like doctor's offices or parent teacher conferences and having your child be the translator between these two adults. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how, how that must have like been as a parent, you know? And so, so I know that my mom, it was like, I need to learn English. I need to, you know, hurry up. And And so she she learned English. She learned English. I mean, with her, I don't speak as much English as I would. Like we still, it's predominantly Spanish that I speak with her. Um, You know, she still sometimes always, whenever she's speaking to an English speaker, always apologizes about her English. I know, Um, it's such a problem. And it's so hard. And, and I think, and I think growing up, we were always like, you know, taught like be humble, ask for ask for apologies and all this, and it's as you know followed me later. But so those were some of the like stories as far as like unpacking my undocumented identity. Um, I didn't know I was undocumented. I knew I was undocumented. I never how knew. Did, how did you know? So you just, like knew. It was like, you know, you're always talking about no tienes papeles. No tienes uh, papeles. Yeah, tenemos yeah. que agarrar los papeles. No yeah. puedo por los papeles. So we always you're like, like, I guess I, go, I don't got paper. <laughs> like, we just knew we weren't from here because I knew I came. Yeah. I knew where I was born. You know what I mean? I knew where I came yeah. from. I have memories. Um, but I did. So I always kind of knew. Like, you, we, I always knew like, that I was not from here. And I didn't have papeles or I was illegal. Like, that's how I would describe myself, right? And I always knew that that was something we couldn't tell anybody and we couldn't share with anybody. And because there were risks to it, I didn't know what those risks looked like, but I just knew, like, se lo van a llevar. Va a venir la migra y se lo va a llevar, and, or se lo va a llevar, so we can't really say anything. Because uh, uh, some of my uncles also are undocumented. Two of them were deported. Three of them were deported, actually. One, yeah. you know, and so... I didn't know that until like college applications started mm. because for yeah. me, I know some, I've heard some people, they found out like during the people were like in high school and, you know, their peers are getting this driver's license. I was too poor to own a car or like <laughs> driver's license was yeah. not my priority. <laughs> so, you know, no, I can't up, relate. <laughs> yeah. So I was like growing up low income, like, yeah, you know, I'm not going to have to do that. And I think it, for me in my high school, there wasn't like a driver's ed that we had to take. So it wasn't like a thing that was, I was super around, but when college applications came, that's when I realized the limitations I had because of like financial aid. And then because of, you know, you can't pay for college or can I even get into college? Is that something that we illegals are allowed to do? Right. 
Yeah. And I use the term illegals not like trust me, like I don't I don't condone the term illegals. Like we should not be using that derogatory word, but like just to put context as to like how I saw myself back then. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's when I realized like, oh, like you're telling me that everything like we can't do this. And for me, college was never the goal in high school and elementary. I would always get good grades because again, I was always like, how can I take more and more off my mother's plate? How can I remove things yeah. off my mom's plate? And for me, she didn't have to worry about my school. She didn't have to worry about me doing bad. She didn't have to worry about my behavior at school. That was less stress for her and less things on her plate to worry about. So for me, it was always, I need to get good grades so my mom don't worry that about part, me. Yep. <laughs> so I never was like, I need to get good grades because I need to get into college. And that's, you know, that's something that we also don't talk about is, you know, I remember dating someone that didn't understand like me getting good grades. I'm like, you just don't get it. It's not that I'm, I, I mean, I, I did love school, but it's like not just because I have to get good grades because I'm the straight A student teacher's pet. It's because there's like a whole, you know, you carry that burden of your family. Like my family doesn't have privilege to do this. Like I'm going to take every single moment of it. I'm going to learn everything I can. I'm going to like kill it. And there's the other thing of um, sponsorship, right? My dad was undocumented until I turned 21 and I was able to sponsor him. And I had to show proof that I was a good student, had to show proof that I was working, that he like raised a good citizen. You know what I mean? Like there's all those other things that people don't understand unless you're a part of that situation. Yeah. just wanted to touch on that one, one and part it's a, because it's, it's very a, important. It's super important because – we also had to do always good so that if the time came that we were like detained or something, we could show that we were doing well, that we yeah. were, you know, striving to whatever standards, you know? And so, yeah. and I also remember like my mom would always emphasize education for us. She always would mm -hmm. emphasize that she came and sacrificed everything so that we could have this quote unquote better life. Right. Mm -hmm. And so she, that was a constant, constant thing in the back of my head. And so then for me, college was that. College was that dream that she had coming here because, you know, all this talk about American dream to me is BS because for me, it was yep. always, my mom did not come here to seek an American dream. She did not see herself, you know, in Hollywood, driving around. No. Like, <laughs> like she knew that the moment that she crossed the border, she was giving up basically everything but she knew she had a dream for us and for her next generations. And so for me, that idea of going to college after I found out what college was and found out that it was something I could potentially pursue was because mm -hmm. it was in line with that dream that my mother has always had for us. And so that's really when I realized that this dream might not be possible because my mom, because we're undocumented and because we, yep. you know, we don't have the resources we can. And so it's, it's so, it's, it's very difficult. It was a very difficult time because I was around so much peers. My school, you know, was really focused on getting everybody to higher education. And so it was, it was a lot of stress. And that was the first time that I came out to anybody and said that I wasn't documented. It was to the college counselor because they needed to send like Cal Grant information to the state and that part of it required like your social security number. And I was like, yeah. Oh, I don't have that. And so how, how was that experience for you? Like for the first time ever telling someone who isn't a family member and you never told any friends, this is like the first person you ever told. It was, 
I felt like I was throwing my whole family under the bus. Mm-hmm. Even though I really wasn't, you know, like this person wasn't going to do anything, but it felt like I was throwing like my whole family under the bus and I didn't, and I felt scared and nervous because I didn't know what the receiving end was going to be like, mm-hmm. but I had to explain, I don't have a social security number. And the thing was like, before, I don't think a lot of people were aware, you know, surprisingly in California that there are undocumented people. And so it was like, well, why don't you have a social security number? And I thought, yeah. oh, I thought we were going to be able to leave it at here. And, yeah. so, <laughs> and so I had to explain and that was hard. But I think the, you know, to be completely honest and authentic and be vulnerable the time that I told my first boyfriend that I was undocumented, that was the hardest. Like I cried and cried mm-hmm. because I felt like, you know, this person is part of, is essentially part of your life. And so I felt like I was putting a burden on him or his family. And like, I was like, oh my God, are we going to break up now? <laughs> it was such a dramatic moment because I didn't know what this was going to mean for us now, you know, and he, you know, white guy, U.S. citizen, you know, family member. I didn't know what his family's members' political views were and what that was going to look like. And so that moment was extremely difficult. I cried so much, didn't know what the future of our relationship was going to be like, but I knew that I had to be completely honest to this person that I was going to decide to be with. And that for sure, like, even when you think about like, being undocumented and having a relationship with someone who's a U.S. citizen and just the <laughs> the complexities of that that can come with it. And so, yeah. yeah, It just shows how much you go through, though. All those feels, all those, like, things you have to question that people like me who are U.S. citizens don't really have to question, you know? And, like, this is very empowering for, I think, for, like, me because I'm just, like, learning so much about you I feel like every time we talk I learn more and more about you (laughs) and more about your story and I I hope that whoever is listening and and has this experience or has family members who have these experiences it just shows them a little more empathy of the things that you have to go through and the feels that you have to navigate that are so different right extremely yeah (laughs) I mean as a first gen just when like you know talking about the college experience as a first gen college application the college admission process is already difficult right it's so difficult yeah and so I was dealing with that and then on top of it I was undocumented so I used like the heck out of Google to figure out what my process was because the college counselors at my high school had no idea can you share the process yeah so how is that that process typically is so undocumented immigrants are not eligible for financial federal financial aid, and but they're able to go to um, higher education and attend higher education. But we all know that that com- I mean higher education is extremely expensive and it's just becoming more and more expensive. And so there is in form of federal financial aid. You know, back in I believe 2010, I want to say they tried passing the California the not California sorry the Dream Act which is where like a lot of the term dreamers got coined. And so that failed. And that- Which how do you, sorry, quick pause. How do you feel about the term dreamers? So I personally, <laughs> <laughs> great question. Um, I personally don't identify with the term dreamer because within mm-hmm. the DREAM Act, the A stands for alien. 
And to yeah. me, that's just continuing to institutionalize within policy, right? Um, this derogatory term towards the community, as well as like always seeing them as other and just kind of like, you know, second class people that don't deserve certain rights. Like, re- like why? Come on, we don't, you know, why, why are yeah. we talking about aliens? Just because, you know what I mean? Like, there used mm-hmm. to not be borders. Borders was not a thing. This is like, you know, and yeah. so I personally don't identify with the term dreamers. I don't judge others that do, though. Like, I understand that that was also part of, like, a movement. And to them, maybe dreamer, to me, is like Chicana, right? Like, chi- yeah. identifying as Chicana always comes with um, a bad history that people have and how some people feel like it's it excludes other non-Mexican Latinos. Um, and so... I, but I identify with because it gives me this political empowerment. So the same way others may see dreamer as that, as like this yeah. part of a bigger thing. And, and, but for me, I don't identify. I identify as an <laughs> undocumented immigrant and that is why yeah. I am. And I, I do have DACA and I know we're going to talk about DACA a little bit later, but, and I, but I don't identify as like DACA mented or like at the end of the yeah. day with DACA or without it I'm still undocumented and I still have like these limited resources and limited opportunities with that of course DACA gives me more opportunities um but at the end of the day I feel like the word undocumented for me has been in a way empowering as ironic (laughs) as that can sound um and liberating um and so that is yeah that is my and that's very powerful because you started this with saying when you were younger how you used to have that like so much hate toward being Mexican and now look yeah. at you you're like own undocumented yeah and it was that's powerful thank you I appreciate yeah thank you like it's it's something <laughs> that like I said took so much unlearning so much unpacking you know and college really opened up opened me up to a lot of resources and people that allowed mm-hmm. me to be the person that I am now, um, along with just the community that I have. And I always say, like, I'm a reflection of my community. Like, I'm a reflection of all these individuals that surrounded me. And so for me, like, being empowered by saying, like, I'm undocumented, and this is who I am. And mm-hmm. if you got a problem with it, let's <laughs> talk about why you got a problem with it and how we can move yeah. forward, you know? And so, um, but yeah, but then just kind of, like, talking about the college process. So there are some states that have specifically said that undocumented immigrants are not eligible for any form of aid. Um, California, though, they passed their own California Dream Act. So essentially, after the Dream Act fell in the federal government, they passed their own Dream Act to offer them state financial aid. And so for me, the California Dream Act allowed me essentially to attend San Jose State because it allowed me to be eligible for state grants, which is very limited. But mm-hmm. at San Jose State, I was able to then apply for scholarships um, that I'm eternally grateful for, Dr. Julia Curry. Without her, mm-hmm. I would have been, I would have dropped out of college within two weeks. She is essentially the person who set me on the path to be like, she basically like lit up the flame that I had within me. You know, I always think everybody has their own sense of empowerment. It's just not like lit up, lit up all the way. Oh, yeah. And, and it really does take someone to help you light that fire. Mm-hmm. And so for me, or a community of people, right. To light mm-hmm. that fire. I agree. And, and so that college application process was a nightmare. I didn't <laughs> find out if I was going to have enough financial aid until 
two day, the weekend of move-in day. You know how there's like a weekend you go and you move into your college yeah. dorm and everything. That Friday is when I found out that I was officially going to be able to attend college because during oh that God. time, yes, there's so much paperwork that you have to fill out because you're undocumented as far as like being a, you know, you, you have to qualify to be AB if to be AB 540, which is just the name of the assembly bill that allows students to receive better um, state financial aid. You have to fill out this form. And then without that form, you can't be eligible for your aid. Nobody told me I had to fill out this form because, you know, nobody knew, nobody knew what to tell me, where, how to direct me. And so essentially the, I always, I would call the financial aid office at San Jose State saying like, Hey, I don't see my financial aid bill. Like or my financial aid um, already posted. Is there an issue? It's like, Oh, don't worry. Like we're working on it. I would call again and call again and same answer, same answer, same answer. And I then started getting worried because I said, well, I'm not, if I don't have financial aid, like what's going to happen to me? And to me, my understanding was this, I didn't understand what state financial aid exactly entailed. And so I said, oh, well, my EFC expected family contribution on this application shows that I'm not supposed to contribute anything to college because it's zero because we are extremely low income. You know what I mean? So I'm going to be taken care of, (laughs) you know? Yeah, right. I didn't understand like the whole process. I just filled out what I need to fill out based off what Google was telling me because that was my college advisor. <laughs> You're like, um, Google said. <laughs> yeah. And so that was that whole summer. And then was just there, a lot of un- of the unknown. And then I finally called and they said, we can't process your financial aid because we're missing the AB 540 affidavit form. And I said, what is that? Like, you know, what, what is AB540? You're like, oh, my research did not show this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, and their websites didn't indicate any of that. Like, there was no, yeah. it, it was just all crazy. And I was getting told the wrong thing the whole time. And so then this person finally told me, you know, you know, I, the one time I called and I said, I need to speak to a financial aid advisor because my college counselors um, at high school said, no, ask them to speak specifically with the financial aid advisor. So I did that. And then. The, late, the person on the phone told me, you know, well, yeah, we're missing this form. And at this point, we've already exhausted all of financial aid. So you'd be lucky if you even get half of what you need to pay for college. And oh I said, what? And she's like, you're basically not going to get anything for room and board. But at this point, you might be able to receive like something to help you pay for tuition. I said, well, there's no way I'm going to go to San Jose State, which is seven hours away from Adelanto to see like without room and board. And so that was... Like just like there was already little cracks in my mirror and then my mirror just completely shattered. Yeah. And so I remember sharing this with my mom and my mom had already asked for that weekend off from her job. And, you know, as low income restaurant worker, like it's impossible to get days off. And so mm-hmm. and so I just it, it, it I just started, you know, thinking, what do I need to do to make this dream of attending college possible? I started thinking maybe I, t- I don't go this year and I apply next year. And this year I just work, work, work. And this, this was in 2014. And at that time I didn't have DACA. So I was going to be working under the table, meaning yeah. for those that don't know, like, you know, you were going to be receiving it in cash. You probably were going to use a fake social security number. Like, and if not, you know, hopefully not a fake social security number. Cause then you get, you just, if you get caught by La Migra, that just makes your case worse. So, yeah. but I said, you know what? 
I do this. I play the viola. Maybe I'll just go play outside and put a little bucket. And I was coming up with like plan A, B, anything. Yeah, just do anything to hustle through it. Exactly. And so I said, I'll work all this year, save all the money up, and then pay that for the first year of, of college. And then the next year, I'll just maybe try to take another year off and then work only. And then, you know, so I was trying to figure this out. And, and I remember having a conversation with one of my uncles. And he literally said to me, Mija, tienes que entender que a este país vinimos para trabajar. So basically saying, you have to understand that you were brought to this country to work. Mm-hmm. This idea of college is a dream. And it doesn't mean that dreams can't be, um, aren't going to be possible, but it just means that you have to put your dream aside right now. Because this is, it's a dream. And you need to learn how to separate fantasy from reality. I was sure. Oof. I was like, well, you're right. I'm not supposed to go to college. That's not for me. College is something you see in this, like, in the movies about, like, people moving to the dorm and stuff and all my people, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So I was like, this is not for me. Like, you're right. So then I said, you know what? I'm just going to, like, any little hope. I, at this point, my, my level of hope was just continuing yeah. to decrease. And, I, and then I told my mom what my plans were and what my uncle had said. And my, my mom was like, and why do you believe that? Like my mom was like, ¿y tú por qué crees eso? Yo no los traje aquí para que sufran como yo. Yo no los traje aquí para que estén así como yo estoy. Like, mm-hmm. I brought you here so that you could do better for yourself because, and I could do, and I can help you. So I didn't bring you here so that you can just work. I brought you here so that you can make something out of your life so that you could have opportunities that I wasn't able to have. And, you know, have this, um, have all these basically like this idea of like of a better life right because yeah. what they would I, think is like the american dream yeah right? and so and and it wasn't for her it was like so then at that point i was like man screw this like we're gonna figure this out so then i called the dad <laughs> i was like I, I had a tia in san jose and she was like uh she's a cousin of my mom mm-hmm. i met my tia and i said you know we weren't like She's not like my mom's sister where we're tight. She's like my mom's cousin oh, yeah. where they're tight, but like I don't really know her that well, you know? And so I was like, mm-hmm. I felt so ashamed, but I started asking her, like, Tia, I, threw, I started doing everything I could. I even asked like a family, a friend of a family member if they would be willing like to co sign a loan for me because I didn't know what that meant at the time, what co signing yeah, a loan meant. We don't learn these things. <laughs> I'm going to ask this person, and like I was so embarrassed because she was like, no, how could you think, you know, like I can't do this, like, you know? And now I understand, like, I was like, I mean, yeah, no worries. Like, I understand why you said no to me, because that is a big commitment. Yeah. And I'm not even like your kid or anything. So <laughs> I asked my tia if, if it would be possible that if, however, my financial aid turned out, if I could live with her and like live in her home. And she was more than happy to have me live with her. And she told me, you can come here. I don't have much to offer. You know, you would be living in la sala on the couch and I said I do not mind sleeping on the couch I'm not a picky person like yeah. I I you know growing you can't up, afford to be picky either yeah and growing <laughs> up go, growing up we did not learn to be picky we lived in a one-bedroom apartment and there were six of us so mm-hmm. you know and so the so, Latino way yeah <laughs> Latino low income way you know what I'm saying and so mm-hmm. um I I I my was um able to do this so then I you know, refresh my financial aid that Friday, I had given up all hope because the financial aid wasn't showing up. 
And that Friday, I was like, you know what? Let me just refresh it one more time. And it showed up. And I did my calculations. And it was like, I would only have to contribute $100 to the tuition Mm -hmm. and fees. And then with that, I would just have basically my whole year paid. I just needed $100. And $100 doesn't seem like a lot to us now. But like back then, you know, we didn't even have $5 sometimes. And so... I was very lucky. My older brother, you know, he's like, I got you. He gave me the hundred dollars. And I said, I'll figure it out. I don't have to use books. I'll just pay attention to what's being said in class and write everything down. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know how this is going to work, but at least school's going to be paid for. And so my mom was not home. She had that Friday off because she had already asked that Friday off like months ago. Cause she thought we yeah. thought I was going to be moving. Um, and she had left to do groceries and my siblings were at school. Um, and so and so I asked my mom, I called her and I said, mom, like, I'm gonna be able to do it. And I explained to her and she's like, well, start packing your stuff. We're leaving. I'll be there in an hour. I packed all my things in one hour and we were on our way to San Jose. <laughs> so I didn't yeah. really get to say bye to my siblings. It, it was not yeah. like that cute. You're like, vamonos. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so, and that's basically how it happened. And then just, just briefly sharing, like for all my fellow undocumented college students, those first two weeks of college were hard. So if, you know, if anyone's listening, anyone's out there, like, I know I can understand. I thought I was the only undocumented student there. I didn't, you know, I didn't know anyone. I, my, my boyfriend at the time attended San Jose State as well, but, you know, it's a little bit hard to relate when, you, you know, you're, not for you know it was just a lot of things that yep. were relatable not not that <laughs> I didn't even have to say it I, I get it <laughs> he was super supportive but it was just hard knowing yeah. that you know there was nothing could be done within my first two weeks I was about to withdraw because even though I wasn't in housing I was being charged for a meal plan so I didn't know how I was going to come up with two thousand dollars I didn't know who to talk to anybody there was some forms I needed to submit and San Jose State isn't what San Jose State used to be now um, they didn't have any resource for undocumented students. I would go to the offices and get basically like told to go to different offices and ask for different things. And every time I had to do that, I had to share and out myself as undocumented to this people to these people because I needed us like to submit a certain form. And so I would like I would get things like I didn't even know illegals could attend college. I didn't even know like what it, what is undocumented? What is illegal? Like what do you mean? Like I don't know how to help you. And it was a mess. It was how did you respond to that? I, Girl, I'm talking like, I mean, I was, uh, just like, yeah. I don't know what to say. I would say, I'm sorry. Okay, where I go? I was not the person I am today. Me, me being, I, was, I can't even imagine myself. you saying, I'm sorry. Uh-uh, girl. I would be like, um, excuse me. You'd be like, let me educate you right now. Let me tell you. Let me tell you what you just said to me. And I'll be, I'll be like, um, yes, we can go to school. Like, you accepted me. That yeah. was not me. I was like, oh, I'm sorry. Okay, like, go turn around. And then in those two weeks, I had my stuff ready. I didn't even, I wouldn't call my mom because I wouldn't want her to know how hard and difficult it was for me right now because I didn't want to burden her with that. So I was like, you know what? My uncle was right. This wasn't for me and I'm dropping out. And then I spoke to that professor who um, I told her I had chosen a Mexican-American studies class for just, because I was like, oh, it's Mexican, like in college and I'm Mexican, like, let's do this. Yeah. And I didn't know what that was and how important it was to have Mexican-American studies in universities. And 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 I told her one day I went to her office and I explained to her, like, I'm dropping out. I remember crying in her office and she directed me to Student Advocates for Higher Education, which is the student organization at San Jose State that supports and advocates for undocumented immigrants. 
And as soon as I went to their first meeting, I felt a huge weight drop from my shoulders, like huge. I was hearing people sharing. Super, like it was so important. There was a person sharing how they were in their third year in college and they were undocumented, someone who had graduated and they were undocumented. I was like, whoa, you're in, first of all, you're undocumented. Second of all, like you're in college and you graduated. Like, and then that's where I figured out, like, I'm staying and I need to figure out how they did it and I need to get involved. And then from there, I mean, you know, you know the story. I just kind of got involved. Then I met you, joined student government. And- yeah, I still remember that. <laughs> and it was- I was doing, I think I was doing like a programming board thing. Yeah. For and then you passed by, you're like, what is this? <laughs> yeah. And so that's essentially a brief, because, you know, I don't want to keep you too long, but that's like a brief, short overview of like the undocumented experience that I had just applying to college. So if anyone's out there listening or if you know yeah. of anyone, I'm more than happy to be like of support and share. And cause now I know things that I didn't know back then. Now I'm like the Ariadna that I wish I knew back then and that I wish I had. Yeah, girl, you're powerful. And this is a really empowering story too, because one of the things that, you know, my brother told me, well, he doesn't really talk about it. It was mostly my mom, (laughs) but my brother, this was like back in, he was graduating high school in the two thousands, early two thousands. And he was, you know, loved football, American football. And he got a full ride offer, you know, just like someone coming and and one of those coaches saying, oh, we want you to play with us. What is it? Recruiting. I couldn't think of the word recruiting. (laughs) And, you know, he was so excited. It was to one of his dream schools. And like my mom said, he like came home and he was just like, oh my God, I'm going to do this. I'm going to play football. And like, for real. And that's when she had to explain like, you're undocumented and there's, there's no way we can afford it unless they like pay for everything. And like, that's when he started realizing how many limitations he had. And it became this whole ripple effect throughout our family because me and my, my brother, the youngest of the seven were the only ones who were born here. And so like for you to talk about this story and like talk about you going through these struggles to like get your dream and, and like achieve it despite all the red tape, like that's empowering. And I hope like, I know my brother, you know, he's, he's now 30 so you can't do anything about his dream school anymore. But I hope that like the other people in our families and our communities and whoever's listening can just be inspired by this and not let all those like negative things, all those red tapes, all those barriers, like stop them from doing something that they can do, something that's possible. So thank you for being an inspiration, girl. Of <laughs> Always. Course, of course. I, like I said, I wish someone would have shared their story with me. And so that's why yeah. Whenever I could and whenever I could share my story in front of an audience, I would do it to know that maybe there was somebody in the audience that needed to know like, wow, there's there's someone here who is that and that can probably help me and can probably help. Mm-hmm. And that's why in college I was so like motivated. That was my drive that I didn't want anyone to have to go through what I went through within those first couple of weeks and even within the admissions process at San Jose State. I didn't want anyone to go through that. And for me, if I could prevent that, I was going to do anything I could to do it. And so, you know, that's what, and that's what continues to motivate me to do, you know, the work that I'm passionate about and that I, I want to hopefully continue doing. And so, yeah, so I'm saying if, if y'all are out there, yeah. we are out there too. And- Ariadna is your girl. <laughs> <laughs> so talk, I know we're running out of time, but I think we can still quickly talk about DACA. That's mm-hmm. a big topic right now, made strides. And of course, you know, there's still a lot of work to do to keep that momentum going. 
from your perspective, share your experience with DACA. And for anyone who's listening who doesn't understand the value of DACA or doesn't understand what DACA means or, or the opportunities that it brings, talk a little bit about that. Yes. So DACA, super important, super huge win um, with the Supreme Court this past couple, this past, I forget what day it was the past couple of weeks, but I just know it was I know, Thursday. Court and dinner, and I know, everything feels Thursday. like one. <laughs> right? Sometimes it's Tuesday and I'm like, I thought it was already Friday. Yeah. Um, so DACA stands for the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. And essentially DACA provides people that are eligible, emphasis on the eligible, because not all undocumented immigrants get, th- get this, um, a two-year work permit, so to have a social security number and to work, and two-year deferred deportation. DACA came out in 2012, and I did not apply for DACA until 2016. And the reason for that mm-hmm. is because I was afraid to apply for DACA because the federal government, I was undocumented, you know, maybe the federal government could, you know, find me at some point if they really needed to. But with DACA, I was now letting them know where I was. And so with DACA, Mm -hmm. you literally have to give the federal government every single address that you've lived in since the time you crossed the border or came to the United States. And so I was scared because I didn't know what danger that was going to put myself in and put my family in. Like, I didn't want to be tracked later. So I didn't apply, my siblings and I didn't apply for it um, because of that, for that fear. Um, Two of my siblings still don't have it. I was, I then decided to apply for it. Um, And so with DACA, I was able to work, get paid because prior to that, I mean, I was only getting a stipend that the student government would give me and that was my income essentially. And so DACA has allowed me to really open up more opportunities for me to continue to pursue what I want to do, you know. I was able to um, go to conferences with that guy. I was able to travel um, within the state with that guy, have a driver's license, not be afraid, as afraid as I used to be before, because, you know, there's always fear. But and so DACA is extremely important because it's allowed so many and opened up the opportunities for like so many students to be able to pursue a lot of those dreams that before have like, you know, it's like they want to go and then there's a rock that gets put in front of them and they can't do anything about yeah. that rock. And so essentially, um, you know, that was, that was, that is why DACA is so important. And then the only thing with DACA that I criticize, even though I have DACA, is that it gives opportunity to some and it still leaves um, others without opportunity. And so I'm, I'm thinking about like those stories you don't hear that the media doesn't share because they're not success stories or they're not stories that may inspire everybody. Like a, 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 uh, undocumented college student graduating is not it's going to be more inspiring than hearing of a single mother that has worked and worked and worked but you know that's all they do with their life but and so to them that's yeah. not inspiring and so for me I criticize DACA because if within if you really think about it within our own undocumented community it's creating inequality it's giving opportunity to others and preventing others from obtaining those opportunities and so while DACA we have this win and hopefully you know Trump doesn't decide to come come through with whatever he needs to come through with hopefully he doesn't we there's still work to be done so that all of our family members all of our community members can be able to obtain their own dreams can be able to pursue what they want to pursue and so I think that you know DACA is a step forward definitely it's not a step backward Mm -hmm. but it still comes with that responsibility of 
you know, those who do have DACA to realize it and realize the privilege that we get from DACA, we get protected from deportation. My mom does not get protected from deportation and how we need to continue to push for that. And I think it comes with holding our elected officials responsible because there's been people that have been elected into Congress, been elected, you know, are going to be elected into the presidency, hopefully, you know, come November. Um, Better vote, (laughs) y'all. Please vote if you can, because I can't. So, (laughs) and so you know, we need to make sure that once they're in there, they do keep their promises because there is still no immigration reform. There's still no pathway to citizenship. Immigration, for people that don't understand it, I really encourage people to go and learn more about it because the immigration system in the United States is extremely broken. There is no line I can put myself into. If if there was a line, somebody needs to come and tell me because I don't know, you know what I'm saying? Being a document is empowering everything. And, you know, I will always fight for the people, but I do not want to be undocumented for my whole life and be deprived of yeah. rights. And so No, you know what? Like let's 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 unpack that together. Let's let's talk about the undocumented life and all the limitations and like injustices that happen because people don't realize you still have to pay taxes. Yes. <laughs> But you don't get any other rights like voting. What are some other limitations you don't get? Um, You don't get health care. You know, Mm -hmm. my mom was in this country for 19 years and she never got her teeth checked up. She ended up losing teeth. My parents. Mm -hmm. Losing teeth. And And we paid like thousands of dollars for my mom to get like her teeth fixed. Like what we would get for free or like cheap, you know? Exactly. And so if you already think that the health, you know, I hope people don't just think it, but they know that the healthcare system in the United States sucks. And now you think of someone who doesn't even have access to that and just kind of sit with that. With the whole COVID-19 going on right now, a lot of undocumented immigrants were afraid to go forward because there's this new public charge rule that says that if you um, benefit from any type of like, any type of public um, program from the government, that will then make you ineligible to apply for a green card later. And that's like welfare through, like, you know, and so, and so people were then afraid to, you know, even seek help during COVID-19, even though people, you can still seek help, like, you know, it doesn't apply, the public charge will won't impact you, but there's a lot of limitations, healthcare, education. There are some states where undocumented immigrants aren't even allowed to attend their higher education system, like Georgia, you know, like, And so all these different places just continue to put barriers to people and people, little do people know that prior to, I believe this 1965 act that was passed, the immigration um, act, there weren't undocumented people in this country. The undocumented immigrants began to grow in this country after policies were implemented that prevented people from going out of their home, you know? Later, you know, I'm, I'm more than happy to talk to you about the whole history of immigration and stuff, but like people weren't undocumented before that. It was borders were free flowing and people would come into work and they would leave. And and like the Bracero program and all these other different policies just continue to that continue to be implemented, just basically exacerbated this the, their community, their communities to become undocumented and just be denied of different rights. And so when you think about like what immigrant undocumented immigrants contribute to this country, they don't receive anything, barely anything back. They receive some, you know, there are some, some, some resources that we're able to access, but not to the extent that in, like resident, permanent residents can, or people that with visas or even, you know, 
And so I think when people think about this, they need to really like educate themselves and say, why am I uncomfortable with an undocumented immigrant living here? Or why, you know, and always challenge your perspective and, and see that they're contributing so much to this country that's not giving them any. And if you really want to deport a child that came here at one year old and don't even know, and they don't even probably know anything about their own culture because they had to be forced to assimilate into your culture, but you want to send them back? My family, like they, they still have this level of gratitude. Like they'll never speak badly about this country. You know, I know they sometimes feel certain ways and like have some type of feelings, but they have this level of gratitude of like, you know, Miha, you have, you, you were educated. You went to college. You like, your brother went to college. Now he's trying to work in politics and try to like make a change for our community. And like, there's just so grateful. And I'm just like, but there's still so much more we can do, you know? And, and that's like the level of that. I'm like, oh, maybe that's my privilege talking because they haven't had the chance to sit in our, the conversations I've been in. And so there's so much, so many different levels of privilege that I'm still learning and I'm still like trying to navigate through, but just something that you talked about, like your parents, like, you know, it's it's a very interesting dynamic. It is like sometimes it, it hurts me that when Donald Trump got elected into office, my mom called me to apologize because she was we were now living with this fear because of her, because she brought us to this country that broke my heart like you have no idea because how why would you be apologizing you know it's under i understand where she was coming from but for for everything that this country puts undocumented immigrants through which has now led for my mother to uh, apologize to me and you know and i was in the library when we were having this conversation i was in this big old mlk library surrounded by books and she was apologizing to me that you know and, and i think like sometimes within our within our community, like our parents are, you know, they're the most important thing, be who they be. They're like, you know, and so for me to hear that my mother was saying that was just extremely difficult. And so I never call her to talk about my immigrant struggles or the struggles that I continue to feel because I'm undocumented or with DACA being like, you know, put words at or, or and me being, or telling her that, you know, that the government has all this data on DACA students now. Like those are conversations that I just choose not to have with her because, you know, she already deals with so much as she continues to live paycheck to paycheck. And like for her to then worry about me and feeling like, wow, like I did this to my daughter. Yeah. And instead for me, it's making her know that every accomplishment, everything that I do is for her and because of her and that she should feel I just hope that she feels proud of what she's done. And that's my biggest goal, like for her to feel proud. Yeah. Proud of all the, because at the end of the day, this has always been her dream. Yeah. This makes me think back to the beginning of our conversation when you said you kind of became your mom's right hand, <laughs> the <laughs> right hand gal, like doing all the things, right? To make her feel like she's doing, you know, she's doing her part, like make her feel like, like you're a super mom right now. I want to help you. I don't want to make you feel no type of way anymore, you know? Mm -hmm. And so like, that's, I mean, that's, I feel like you carry that on because just hearing you speak now and like saying, I don't want her to worry. It just, for me, I'm like picturing little Ariadna doing that, <laughs> changing pañales at like five years old. 
girl, my sisters, like, we have a different <laughs> you better be grateful. <laughs> we have a different relationship because of that. And I, it wasn't until this year that I started noticing, like, those are my babies. Like, you know, they're obviously not my babies. I can't take credit as being like a mom, but like, I just, babies. It's no, I get it. yeah. And it's so different, but I'm just the same thing. Same thing with my older sister. I call her like my second mom because my parents were always working. Like my dad would be gone sometimes for like months at a time because he couldn't get a job in California. He had to go to Miami because my uncles were over there or he went to Houston because my uncle was over there. And so like he would be gone for like weeks, months. My mom would be cleaning houses. Sometimes I'd go with her. That was like my first real job. <laughs> and my sister, she was really like our mom. She cooked for us. She cleaned for us. She like yelled at us. Like, you know, she did all the things. And I'm just like, it's just the, it's just the way that we grow up. So honestly, as the youngest sibling talking, I am so thankful for my older sister. And we definitely have a different relationship. Like she's definitely more mom than sister. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, hi, mom. (laughs) Yeah. No, but I... I love this conversation and you know how much I, I, I love talking to you about these things. And I hope that some people listening right now can be like, damn, I need to reach out to Ariadna. Like she's going to be educating me on this experience and making it easier for me. But let's, you know, like this can be a conversation for days, girl. Like I know like we can talk about this forever, but in, for the sake of time, for the sake of the people who are listening, who want to know more about you and what you're doing now, let's skip to the chisme portion. Cafecito and chisme. Here we go. I want to know what you're up to now. I mean, like, even for me, this is like me catching up with you. <laughs> so I'm like excited <laughs> for this. But what are you up to now? You know, you, you still, you talk about still being undocumented, but you're doing so much. Like, you are like freaking killing it. So let's talk about what you're doing now. School, relationships. <laughs> Yes. So actually, and how people can connect with you too. Yeah, of course. So actually, when you mentioned relationships, Hector and I, my partner, we're going to be celebrating our five year anniversary on Sunday. Girl, yes. <laughs> oh my God. For those who don't know Ariadna and Hector, they are like mega power couple. Y'all are like amazing. Oh, no, I'll let him know you said that. I'm sure he's going to be flattered. But. Yeah, so that we're still together out here living in Brooklyn and um, in New York. And so I'm current, I graduated San Jose State um, 2019. And then I immediately went to grad school. Another thing that comes with being undocumented is I had my DACA for two more years. So I knew I couldn't take a break. I knew I had to immediately do the, as much as I could with this. So I, I was like, I need to go to grad school, you know, get as much education as I can. So if one day the migra shows up, I can be like, I've been, no. I've been in school. Like, <laughs> I'm I educated. Yeah. And so, uh, so right now I'm studying at um, NYU and the Higher Education and Student Affairs program. A lot of what I'm really passionate about and what I hope to pursue, I'll be done next May. Woohoo, fans done with school. Yes, girl. Um, and so um, I'll, I'm, I want to work in like K through 12 system and addressing the inequities that happen there within um, commu- disenfranchised communities, um, specifically with like low income communities, um, with students of color and just that pathway to college. And at first I was really passionate. I wanted to work within higher education. And now I'm like, I want to work with the students that are not making it here. And why is it that they're not making it here? So whether it be like the school to prison pipeline or that basic K through 12 education and how at the, within the K through 12 system, there's things that start that cost students to like just de- break away from higher education. And so mm-hmm. 
um, learning a lot oh, about we can that. Have a conversation about that too. Uh, I'm here for you if you need help. ESL <laughs> classes, I'm telling you, they're problematic. So mm. Underfunded schools, like the whole thing, and how we all get tested the same at the end of the day. I'm, <sighs> I know. Too much, too much triggered. <laughs> So that's what I'm doing now. I'm very privileged. I work right now at at NYU's Office of Financial Aid because through there, for any undocumented people trying to like pursue grad school, there is not a, there's like barely anything financial aid for grad students, especially undocumented students. So I was able to secure a position that pays for my tuition. So I don't have to pay for tuition for NYU, which is extremely expensive. Mm -hmm. And so I'm very grateful and thankful for that. So right now I work in the Office of Financial Aid. And so I'm learning a lot about financial aid as well as financial education. And and I'll be giving some presentations um, this month, actually, to some opportunity program students, um, explaining to them the different financial aid um, things as far as like loans, scholarships, grants. And so that's what I'm doing right now. I hope to one day be able to, after I graduate and get a job, to be able to return back to Adelanto. And get back to that community. Um, it's a very low income. There's a like people of color. There's like living in poverty, and so very rural. I would say, even though it's called Adelanto City, but I know Adelanto. Where for those who don't know, where is Adelanto? So Adelanto is in the high desert in California. Which, if people don't know where the high desert is, it's in the San Bernardino County. It's nowhere near LA. So when people, when I tell people I'm from California, they're like, oh, San Diego, LA. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm like in the outskirts. Yeah. And so it's basically a desert and it's a beautiful, beautiful place. I liked it, but for sure, a lot of problems within the community yeah. as far as like, just no sense of oppor- opportunity there. And so I want to go back there and support like local the. the the community there after school programs because that for sure helped me a lot growing up um yeah that's what I'm doing right now and I I'm always open to for people wanting to reach out to like either if I can provide them information on the undocumented immigrant community or if I can um share some my experience with people or even just support an undocumented student get through college um you you know my twitter I don't have twitter (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I was about to say my twitter handle and i was like i, I had yeah, like that's a lie i don't have a twitter no but for sure people are always more than um i'm always more than happy for people to email me and reach out um as well as you know if you want to find me on social media you can do that um i'm not as active on social media i try to stay away from my phone as much as possible just because you know social media these days yeah it's a great resource to be educated though i mean you know, a lot of resources, but for sure, I'm always happy um, people want to reach out. So talking about resources, we'll, we'll wrap this up. What are some resources that people can look at to educate themselves in the immigration process, the DACA experience, the undocumented experience? What are some pages, some resources, websites, pages to follow, anything like that? Yeah, so some pages to follow, especially if you're undocumented and you want to know about resources, are United We Dream. They have a, a lot of information there. They do a lot of webinars, especially right now with folks that are undocumented and want to apply for DACA as a first-time applicant. There's They're giving constant updates as to what that process is going to look like more, moving forward. So that's United We Dream. Immigrants Rising is also a great resource. Um, the California Immigrant Youth is also a great resource, and they do a lot of work. And then for my other folks, just so people know that all undocumented people are not Latinos, you know, there's a bunch of us. 
There's <laughs> also um, within the Black community, there's also people who are undocumented. And so um, there's the Undocu Black Network um, that people can follow um, and just kind of stay updated and continue to stay updated on resources. There's a great, great writer that I follow that makes being undocumented so like it brings the, the humor and the happiness to it mm-hmm. it's Yosimar, Yosimar Reyes he's so great and he's so funny and he 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 finds humor within the undocumented experience that is not degrading and that is empowering and so he's so great and so if you want to follow him and I know he does he has other, Yosimar Reyes Yosimar Reyes. And he's going to be starting a writing workshop as well for undocumented immigrants, um, which is super awesome. And so, and he's a writer, so look up his books. They're great. Um, But yeah. Oh, Ariadna. Love talking to you. So we're going to wrap this up with a little brindis, which is different because I always say this in every episode, but I'm like, I'm redefining what brindis means because I don't have any alcohol. (laughs) Like with my little cafecito. (laughs) We're doing it our, our own version, our own version of Brindis. But I want to close this with a Brindis. And I also want to kind of do like affirmations and manifesting some good for our, our Latino community, our undocumented community. So what is something that you want to manifest for, for our community moving forward? I want to manifest that we should never feel ashamed of who we are. We are all at the end brought to this earth, you know, and and to care for it and take care of ourselves as well. Part of taking care of the earth is taking care of ourselves. And so not feeling ashamed moving forward, feeling empowered, feeling unafraid, and to always continue to look back at that community and that village that really like helped define who you are and helped you find your self-empowerment. So like that's what I hope to manifest within our ourselves is like just like being happy and proud and empowered of who we are and helping others find that empowerment and that light. Oh, love it. Me encanta. Salud. Salud. <laughs> Salud. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I know the story wasn't easy to tell. Así que muchas gracias, Ariadna. You are powerful. Remember to tune in next week for more Cafecito and Chisme and more Hello Latino Love. Follow me on Twitter at Odalis Jasmine, Instagram at Ojasmine with four A's, and find me on LinkedIn. Con mucho amor, tu amiga Andureña.